Well, I know you are ready to hear the word. He needs no introduction around here. The one and only Rafael Cruz. Come right on, brother. I can't think of a message that is more important to the body of Christ than this message. Identity. Who you are in Christ. And I will dare say most Christians have no clue as to who they are. And because of that, they walk in defeat. But that's not the Christian life. Looking at this first scripture, Romans 5.12. says, wherefore, if by one man, that's talking about Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. But then the key scripture that we're going to use today is Romans chapter 5, verse 17. And Romans chapter 5 says, For if by one man, that's again talking about Adam, men offense, death reigned by one, much more. And it's much more because this other man we're going to talk about is much greater than Adam. Those who receive two gifts will reign in life by the one Christ Jesus. Now, we know we're going to reign over there. But this is not talking about over there. This is talking about reigning right here, right now. In order for you to be able to reign in life, you have to receive these two gifts. The abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Let's take them one at a time. Number one, the abundance of grace. And of course, we're all familiar with Ephesians 2. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we understand that salvation is purely by grace. This, none of us probably have any challenge with this. But I'll tell you what, grace is not just for salvation. Grace goes much more than that. As a matter of fact, everything you receive from God is by grace. None of it is because you deserved it. God help us if we got what we deserve. At the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Pretty plain. What part of it is finished do you not understand? He did it all. Not just salvation. Salvation, healing, and deliverance was all provided for you at the cross. And even beyond that. Amen. And it says in verse 16 that when it was dark, they brought to Jesus many that were demon possessed. And with his word, he cast out the demons. Deliverance is part of the finished work of the cross. But it goes beyond that. And it continues, and he healed all that were sick. How many? All, all that were sick. Amen. That it may be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. He did it all. And he is quoting Isaiah 53.4. Isaiah 53.4, if you read at it, he says, for he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And we did steam him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. You know, we need to realize 
Most of us use the King James. That was written in 1611. That was over 500 years ago. The words have changed meanings. So that word griefs, let's go back to the original language. That God word griefs is a word kole in the Hebrew. And kole means specifically sickness. And the other word sorrows is a word makobi. And it means pains. And Jesus translated those words sickness and disease. So do not be deceived. He's not talking about, you know, all, he's talking about physical healing. In verse 5, for he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace. In other words, the punishment so that we may receive his peace was already paid. And his peace is our upon us. And then he says, and with his stripes, he, we are healed. With his stripes, we are healed. Let's look at that word, peace. The word in the Hebrew is the word shalom. And it means wholeness. It means well-being. Nothing lacking. Nothing missing. 1 Peter 2.24 says that by his stripes, we were healed. Past tense. It's already done. By his stripes you were healed. And uh, you may ask, well, why am I still sick? Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We need to realize everything we receive from God is purely by grace. None of it is because you deserve it. It's purely by grace without any work. Romans 8.3 says, For he that spend not his own, spared not his own son, how had, would he not freely, freely give us all things? You don't have to earn it. You cannot earn it. It is free. Now, how do we access God's grace? You know, God's grace is infinite. How do you access it? Well, if we go back to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, what did it say? For by grace are you saved through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Romans chapter 4 verse 16. Let me talk a little bit about Abraham. This, this whole passage in Romans chapter 4. I consider this the most important passage about grace in all of scripture. Romans 4, verses 16 to 21. Now, in verse 16, it says, Therefore, it, and he's talking about the promise, is by faith, through faith, that it may be by grace. And then in Romans 5, 2, says, Whom we also we have access by faith into his grace. And I coined a little phrase, Faith is the key that unlocks the door to God's grace. The grace is infinite, but you have to have the faith to receive it. You know, the world says you have to see it to believe it. God says you got to believe it to see it. You have to believe it to see it. Now, in the book of Hebrews, talking about 
faith says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now let's talk a little bit about terminology. That word hope in the Bible, in the Bible is not the way we use the word hope normally in our, in our vernacular. You know, like people say, well, I, I hope it's going to rain today. That's not what biblical hope is. Biblical hope is the confident expectation that what God said, it is so. The confident expectation that what God said, it is so. It's the evidence of things not seen. You know, we need to understand that there is a spiritual world. And the spiritual world is totally real. And it's there for you. And so now... Let's go back to Romans chapter 4. And uh, let's begin on verse 17. And as I told you, verses 17 to 21 is talking about Abraham and about the faith of Abraham. And it says in verse 17, calling those things who were not as though they were. What does that mean? That means you look at what's already a reality in heaven. And you call it down to earth. You know, in the Bible, there are over 3,000 promises. And the Bible says the promises of God are yes and amen. Yes and amen. So what you need to do is you need to look at the promise in the scripture and call it because it's already a reality in heaven. So you call it to be manifested in the physical right here on earth. This is what it means when Jesus says, whatsoever you shall bind in heaven shall be bound on earth. Whatsoever you lose in heaven will be loose on earth. You look at the promise and then you call it into reality. That's what Romans 4, 17. And then beginning with verse 18, we're talking about the faith of Abraham. And you need to realize at the time that this was written, Abraham was very old, and his wife had been barren her whole life. She couldn't have any children. And here comes God and says, listen, by this time next year, you're going to have a son from Sarah. Not that thing that you tried to do to help out God 12 years before. No, 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 by Sarah. And so it says that Abraham, who against hope, believed in hope. Against hope because he was hopeless. He was 99 years old. His wife is 89 years old and could never have a baby. I mean, this is beyond hope. But he believed in hope, in biblical hope. Again, I'll give you the definition again. The confident expectation. That what God said, it is so. Whether you see it or not, it is so. And you need to call it into being. And so, against hope, he believed in hope that he may become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. And it was spoken by God. I mean, how can you doubt what God said? Well, we do it all the time. And that's just because we read it, but we don't believe it. 
it was spoken, so shall thy seed be. That's Romans 5.16. Let's go to the next verse. Verse 17. He considered not his own body. You got to realize he's 99 years old. I mean, it would be very easy to find out excuses as to why it couldn't happen. He considered not his own body now dead, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God. I mean, it's so easy if we look at it in the natural for us to stagger. Man, this is impossible. How can I believe this? Well, you believe it because God said it, period. God said it, it is so. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And the key to this whole thing is verse 21. And verse 21 says that he was fully persuaded. He was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Let me tell you, you want to receive from God, you need to be fully persuaded. That's the bottom line. You need to be fully persuaded. God said it, and it is so, and I believe it. And I like what Gloria Copeland says at the end of this. And I cling on to it with bulldog faith. I just cling on to it and I don't let go. God said it and it is so. All you have to do is believe it and receive it. You need to be fully persuaded. Now, in the word of God, you know, you, you because you can now come to an excuse and say, well, I don't have any faith. And perhaps some of you have said that, I don't have any faith. Well, Romans 12, 3 says that God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. It doesn't say a measure of faith. It says the measure of faith. Now, that means he gave each and every one of us the same amount of faith. Now, why do some people have more faith than others? Because faith is like a muscle. You got to exercise it. And the more you exercise it, the more it becomes strong and it grows. So you can grow your faith by exercising your faith. Let me give you a, a good example. How many of us have prayed for a child when he has one degree of fever. Probably all of us have done that. Now let me ask you another question. How many of us have prayed for healing for somebody with stage four cancer? Oh, I couldn't do that. I mean, let me ask you a question. Is it any more difficult for God to heal one degree of fever than to heal stage four cancer? Let me tell you something. I've seen not one. I've seen several people with stage 4 cancer being totally, completely healed. He is still today Jehovah Rapha, the God who healeth you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. And so, but how do you get that faith? Well, the word of God says in Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need to be hearing the word of God. 
This is why it's important that you come to church. So that you hear the word of God and you allow it to germinate in your spirit. And catch, you know, take root in your spirit and germinate on you. Let's talk about the second of these gifts. Because here we have a lot more problems than with salvation and grace. And the gift of righteousness. It says, but he, and he's talking about God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, or to be made sin for us, that we may become or we may be made the righteousness of God in Christ, in him, in Christ. Now, so God has already given you the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness so that you might reign right here, right now in this life. Reign over the power of sin. Reign over the circumstances. You know, there are many people that say, well, you're talking about reigning. Man, I'm not reigning over anything. As a matter of fact, under the circumstances, and I'll ask you, what are you doing under there? What are you doing under there? You're supposed to be above the circumstances. The problem is most, of, most people believe in a little God. As I said, the God who can heal one degree of fever, but don't you dare pray for somebody who's got cancer. Reign over all the power of the enemy. We need to understand the devil is totally, totally defeated. If you are a Christian, the devil has absolute no power over you. The book of Colossians chapter 1 says that you have been translated from one kingdom to another kingdom. We're in a different kingdom. The devil has zero authority in the kingdom of God. But if you don't know it, he'll eat your lunch. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil. And what does it say? He will flee from you. He ain't got no choice. So, moreover, Romans 5, 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense may abound. But where sin abounded, what? Grace much more abounded. The purpose of the law. You see, uh, I know we have some Old Testament scholars here. And uh, I'll tell you what. That the, the Jewish people are in bondage to the law. But the law was not given as a path to salvation. The law was not given as a path to salvation. If the law could be a path to salvation, Jesus would not have had to come to the cross. See, the Jews never got this revelation. And it was by design of God, by the way. Don't blame the Jews. God purposely blinded their eyes so the gospel could come to the Gentiles. Read Romans chapter 11 before you condemn the Jews. It was God's plan so the whole world could come to Christ. But anyway, the law was never given as a pathway to God. 
the God, law was given to understand that you couldn't keep it. And when you read what the New Testament says, Jesus said, if you have hatred against anyone, you're already guilty of murder. If you looked at another person with lust, you've already committed adultery. So when you understand that, nobody can keep the law. So the law was given to draw us to a savior, to draw us to Christ. That's the whole purpose of the law is to bring us to Christ. Romans, John 1, 17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 6, and we're going to spend a long time on Romans chapter 6. Beginning with verse 3, Know ye not that as many as you as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Let me just shock you right now. Romans chapter 6 has absolutely nothing to do with water. Nothing to do with water. That word baptize is a word baptizo in the Greek. And it means immersion. So let's just replace that. Know ye not that as many of you are were immersed into Jesus Christ, were immersed into his death. The media of the baptism is not water. The media of the baptism is Jesus. You are totally identified with Jesus. You are made one with this. Zero to do with water. Now, water baptism is just a representation, a physical representation of the spiritual reality. In water baptism, we are given a public testimony of what already happened in the spiritual. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are just making a public declaration that you are a new creation in Christ. You've been totally immersed in Christ, and you've been raised in newness of life. As a matter of fact, we normally quote that when we baptize someone. You, you will hear it quoted. Therefore, we were buried with, in, with him by baptism into death. You don't, you're not baptized into death because you went into the water and came out. That is because you came to Christ and who you were ceased to exist. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, easing it off, you should walk in newness of life. And we declare that as we bring somebody out of the water. But it wasn't the water that did it. That is just a physical manifestation or a physical declaration or to, of what has already a reality in the spiritual. Do you understand what I'm saying? For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Now, I'm going to probably step on some toes. I'm going to get rid of a lot of old garbage theology that you have received. You do not have two natures. I've come across so many preachers today that preach that you have two natures. You have a sin nature 
and you have a righteous natures, and they're all at war with each other. That is not biblical. That is garbage theology. Who you were died the moment you received Christ. You became a new creation. Romans 6 continues, verse 6. That the body of sin, and that's talking about that sin nature might be destroyed. That your sin nature may be destroyed, that means totally done away with, that henceforth you should not serve sin. There is no reason why you should be slaves to the sin nature because if you're a Christian, your sin nature is dead. It's dead. So 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature or a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. Behold, all, how many? All things have become new. Who you were ceased to exist the moment you came to Christ. And now your spirit has been renewed or recreated in the image of Jesus. You are a new creation. I'm going to repeat it. Who you were ceased to exist. Now we go to Romans 6, 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. That means free from the power of sin. Free from the sin nature. No, that, you don't, that, the sin has no power over you. Now, if you can receive this experientially I mean, and let it drop into your heart, you're going to walk in a new victory. Let me tell you, I'm sure all of us have heard this phrase, I am nothing but a sinner saved by grace. I'm sure we all said it. I mean, I used to say it all the time when I first came to Christ 48 years ago. I don't say it anymore because that may sound very pious, may sound very religious, may sound very humble, but it's not biblical. No, you're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner who was saved by grace. Past tense. If you are born again, you're no longer a sinner by, saved by grace. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. Now, let me tell you why it is so important that you get this in your spirit. If you believe that you are a sinner saved by grace, you're constantly sin conscious because you believe that you're a sinner saved by grace, that your nature is you are a sinner. So you're always sin conscious. You know what happens when you're always sin conscious? You're always under condemnation. And that will lead you to sin. But not only that. You remember John 10.10? John 10, 10? The thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I'm come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. That is not abundant life. If you're under always sin conscious, if you're always under condemnation, that doesn't sound that like the abundant life. And by the way, let me just take a little parenthesis and go back to John 10.10 10 because, again, I have heard so many preachers 
misquote John 10.10. 10. I couldn't tell you how many preachers have heard quote John 10.10 10 in this manner. The thief came not but to kill, steal, and destroy. I am come that you may have life and you have more abundantly. That's not what it says. It's not kill, steal, and destroy. It is steal, kill, and destroy. And let me tell you of those three terms, the most important is steal. The ministry of the devil is to steal the word of God from your heart. And if he can steal the word of God from your heart, he can kill you and destroy you. You see, you need to realize who you are. And the devil, you, you remember Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower? There are four different types of soil that Mark chapter 4 talks about. What is the first soil? It's a seed that came, fell by the wayside. And the birds of the air, and every time you see in scripture the birds of the air of the beast of the fields, it is always, always talking about demons. So the devil comes and steals the word. That's what Jesus said about Mark chapter 4 when he explained. The devil comes and steals the word. How did, how did uh, the devil come to uh, Eve? Did God really say questioning the word of God see if he can question the word of God he can deceive you and then he can really do whatever he wants with you now instead of that if you believe that you are the righteousness of God in Christ which is the truth then you become righteousness conscious and when you are righteousness conscious you're free from condemnation you know what happens that will naturally lead you to do works of righteousness. Because you're going to act according to who you believe you are. So this is extremely important. Don't you ever say again, I'm nothing but a sinner saved by grace. That is not only an, a lie, that's an insult to God. That is denying the finished work of the cross. That is a slap on the face of Jesus. That is saying you really didn't do it all. But, I, but the fact is he did. He did. So verse 11 is really the key. Likewise reckon yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin. But alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know and sometimes. Uh, quite a few times actually. The English really leaves a lot to be desired. That word reckon is uh, a very poor translation. The word in the Greek is a word logizomai. And logizomai means counted as a fact. Counted as a fact that you're dead. And now if you go back to verse 7, what does verse 7 say? For he that is dead is free from sin. So now the devil comes to tempt you. And you say to the devil, devil, you can't tempt me. I am dead. And if I'm dead, you ain't got no power over me. So get. Amen. Get out of here. See, the reality is most of us are afraid of the devil when the devil is afraid of you. You need to understand who you are. If you're free from, you're free from sin and you're free from the power of sin because who you were cease to exist. 
And then verses 8 to 10 corroborate this. It says, for if we are dead with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. It's once and for all. But in that he died, he died unto sin once, but he, he lives, he lives unto God. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey the lost therefore. Your sin nature is dead. You need to realize that. Sin does not have control over you, and that means you have the power to reject sin. There are probably some people here old enough to remember Flip Wilson. Anybody here remember Flip Wilson, the black comedian? What was his most famous phrase? The devil made me do it. Well, that's a lie. If you're a Christian, the devil can make you do nothing. You made you do it. Don't blame the devil. If you are a Christian, the devil has no power over you. Believe it and receive it and walk in victory. The devil has no power over you. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now, your members is not just talking about your hands and your feet. Your members is talking about your soul. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 22, 20, verse 23 says that we are a three-part body, spirit, soul, and body. All that was redeemed at the cross was your spirit. Your soul is still unredeemed. And actually, it is, you know, the problem is we are trying to exercise how do we do this? We're trying to exercise self-control by our own efforts. And to do it as an act of the will. And what do we do? We keep failing and failing and failing. Because we don't understand. And I understand that the motivation is good because James said that, that uh, faith without works is dead. So faith should cause you to try to take action in accordance to the word of God. But we fail over and over because it's a struggle. And the more we fail, the more we're frustrated. But that's not what Jesus promised. And uh, we need to understand that this, the renewal of the body is a long life process. Romans chapter 12. It says, I beseech you therefore, my brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is a good and perfect and acceptable will of God. How do we renew our mind? Ephesians 5.26 tells us, by the daily washing of the water by the word of God. You need to be in the word of God daily. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> you need to meditate on the scriptures according to Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mind, but you shall meditate on in 
day and night, that you may do according to what it says. And then it says that you will live a prosperous and abundant life. But I'll tell you what, we need to just, just uh, take a moment and talk about this word meditate. What does meditate mean? I think the best word to explain, the best way to explain the word meditate is with a cow. You know, a cow has multiple stomachs. And a cow chews the cod and chews the cod and swallows it. And then what? It regurgitates it and chews on it some more. And swallows it and regurgitates it and chews on it some more. That's meditation. You need to chew on the word of God and try to get all the juice out of it. Then you internalize it and you bring it back and chew on it some more. And you know what happens when you chew on it some more? You get more juice out of it. You get more revelation on it. And then it's a never-ending process. You keep chewing on the word. You know, you can't just say, well, I read the Bible once. Let me tell you something. Every time you read the word of God, it speaks to you because the Bible is alive. It was not just supernaturally written. It is supernaturally read. The Holy Spirit speaks to you when you read the Word of God. This is why you can read the Word of God 50 times. And every time you read it, you get something new. Because the Word is alive. So you need to stay in it. That's how you renew them, your mind. By the daily washing of the water by the word. Ephesians 5.26. But the problem is that we're trying to do it as an act of our own will. But, and you know something? And we, we just think that we need to exercise self-control. You know, I just spent two months teaching on the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is probably a, a lousy translation, I will say it. Self-control is not control from your own self. Self-control should have been really translated Holy Spirit control. True biblical self-control is you surrender your will to God and let his will be manifested in and through you. But you see, we consider that self-control is something that we have to do by our own efforts. And what happens? We keep failing, and we keep failing, and we keep failing. I know you never experienced that, but I have. But, and that's what happens when you try to do it by your own efforts. No, you need to come to the point to where you relinquish it to God. And you let the Holy Spirit be the one that controls. And so that is really what self-control is. It's a manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. So a better translation for it should be Holy Spirit control. Now, we got, you know, so we say, well, all right. So if I am a new creation, if my sin nature is dead, why do I still sin? Well, you need to realize that Paul said, walk in the spirit and you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. 
Did you know that it is impossible to sin in the spirit? Absolutely impossible to sin if you're walking in the spirit. We sin because we walk in the flesh. That is under the control of our soul. And what's our soul? Our mind, our will, and our emotions. So, what's the problem with the flesh? Well, you know, you take uh, my own personal experience. I didn't come to Christ till I was 36 years old, 48 years ago. A lot of bad programming in my mind. And out that bad programming, if I am not renewing my mind with the Word of God, that bad programming will come to the surface, and it will drive me to sin. But even if you were saved as a child, you say, I don't have a problem, I was saved with that when I was six. Well, unless you live in a cave, you have a lot of bad input through radio, through television, through movies, through conversations that you hear, through just living around other people, there's a lot of bad input. You know, your mind is the biggest supercomputer that has ever existed. We think about how great computers are. You know, your mind has trillions, with a T, trillions of sign-ups. It is absolutely the most mind-boggling supercomputer there exists, and it can recall anything in your whole life. But what will come to light is what you spend your time meditating on. This is why you need to meditate on the Word of God. Because if you meditate on the word of God, that's what's going to come out on the surface. But if you start staying away from the word of God, the old programming will come to mind. And the old programming will lead you to those old ways. You see, you, have, you take two plants. You water one, you don't water the other one. Which one is going to grow? The one you water. The other one will wilt sooner or later. So we got to water our mind with the word of God. You get need to renew your mind. And this is a daily process of renewing your mind to the, with the word of God. So that that is what you will do. So that body input influences your behavior if you're not renewing your mind. Let's go to verse 20. Now if I do, and now we are, you need to understand this because this is so critical. We're in chapter 7 now. And many people consider chapter 7 of Romans the chapter of defeat. It is the opposite. Romans chapter 7 is a, is a chapter of absolute victory. Look at verse 20. Now if I do that which I would not, it is no more I than do it. Why? Because I'm a new creature. I'm a new creation. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. But sin that dwells in me. That's talking about the flesh. So I cannot sin. I'm a new creation. I'm as righteous as Jesus. But my soul is unredeemed. That's what Paul is saying here. In the spirit it is impossible for me to sin. But you know there's this old programming that comes to light. And it's the one that caused me to sin. 
And as I said, there are many preachers that teach this as a dual nature. You got a sin nature and a righteous nature. That is not so. Your sin nature, get this, and you'll walk in victory. Your sin nature died the moment you came to Christ. And begin declaring it. Make it a habit to declare it daily. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. As a matter of fact, why don't we practice right now? I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Repeat it with me. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Let it sink from your head to your heart. And you're going to walk in a new victory. Verse 21. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Now, when I would do good, he's talking about the new nature. Evil is present in me. What is he talking about? Not a sin nature, but the bad programming. It's the bad programming. It's the data in your mind that will come to light if you are not renewing your mind with the word of God. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. And what's he calling the inward man? The new creation. The righteousness of God in Christ. And in that, I delight in the law of God. Because I am a new creature as righteous as Jesus. And it says, but I find another law in my members. Now, Paul is clarifying, it's not in me. It's in my members. And what are the members? The flesh. And the flesh, what is the flesh? The soul. Mind, will, and emotions. And mind, will, and emotions are unredeemed. And you have to renew him how? By the daily washing of the water by the word of God. And so we need to bring into captivity the law of sin which is in my members. You see how he clarifies. It's not in me. I'm a new creation. But it's in my soul. That's what the members or the flesh it refers to. It's to the soul. So. If Paul, South Paul said, said, I have victory through Jesus Christ, my Lord, and so can you. And perhaps you've been trying to do the right thing and falling over and over. And it's probably because you've been trying by your own efforts. You can't do it by your own efforts. You cannot do it by your own efforts, but by Self-control as the free of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That means Holy Spirit control. Under the control of the Holy Spirit. That you may be able to see, we have to come to our Gethsemane. Each and every one needs to come to our Gethsemane. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. We need to surrender that bad programming to the, to the Lord. Submit your will today to the control of the Holy Spirit. That way you can reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. Now, Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you have a King James or a New King James... Your Bible will say, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. In the earliest manuscripts in the original language, the second half of Romans 8.1 is not there. And there are 
eight different translations that do not have their second part of it, Romans 8.1, including the New Living Translation, including the Young's Translation, and six others. This is an unconditional promise. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, period. No, no caveats. Why is there no condemnation? Because Jesus took all the condemnation upon himself. And he said, it is finished. Again, I ask, what part of it is finished? Do we not understand? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. You are free in Christ Jesus. You're a new creation. Your sin nature is dead. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. So you need to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. Let me tell you what I have shared with you today is revolutionary if you receive it in your spirit. Understand, no, you are not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner who was saved by grace. Now you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Your sin nature died the moment you came to Christ. You are a new creation, old Things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I want to close by quoting again Romans chapter, I mean, second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we may become or we may be made the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Walk in that victory and you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. God intends for you to reign in life. Right here, right now. Don't wait till you get over there to start reigning. You need to start reigning over every circumstance here. Because we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is our king, our savior, our master. And he did it all. And he did it all that we may be a triumphant church. And that we may just reflect his glory in everything we do, in everything we say. To him be all the, all the glory forever and ever. Amen.